Welcome to Public Health On Call, a new podcast from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Our focus is COVID-19, the novel coronavirus. I'm Josh Sharfstein, a faculty member at Johns Hopkins and also a former secretary of Maryland's Health Department. Our goal with this podcast is to bring evidence and experts to help you understand today's news about the novel coronavirus and what it means for tomorrow. If you have questions, you can email them to publichealthquestion at jhu.edu. That's publichealthquestion at jhu.edu for future podcast episodes. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Justin Lessler, Associate Professor of Epidemiology at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Dr. Lessler is one of the world's experts on how viruses move through populations. And in this discussion, he speaks about how he sizes up the novel coronavirus. Let's listen. Tell me a little bit about what you do as an infectious disease epidemiologist. Yeah, so I study uh, how infectious diseases move through populations. Specifically, what I do is I study infectious disease dynamics, which is the study of how diseases transmit, how they develop in people over time and space. So give me a few infectious diseases that you've studied over time. So uh, I started out working mostly on influenza, the flu, uh, which I still study today. And I've also worked a lot on cholera, which is the biggest part of my current work. But then also I get involved, tend to get involved in emerging infections as they come along. So the current novel, coronavirus, of course, uh, I worked on uh, pandemic H1N1 uh, back in 2009. So uh, I, I have this a very intense interest in emerging infections. Great. So governments might call you, for example. Um, yes, we've worked with governments. We've worked with uh, you know public health agencies. Worked with other institutions, both national and global. Yes. So let's talk about coronavirus. You hear that there is a new infection out there. Um, everybody hears that news and reacts a little bit differently. You're an expert in new infectious diseases. What do you want to know um, about this new disease? Yeah, so we sort of have a toolkit of things that, you know, sort of help us really quickly assess the, or that we want to know to really quickly assess how big of a threat the disease is and what we can do to control it. Uh, One thing we want to know, and people might have heard of it because it shows up in movies like Contagion and stuff like that, is the reproductive number. And that shows us how many, that tells us how many cases uh, each case of the disease is expected to uh, cause in a naive population or a population that hasn't seen the disease. And so if that number is greater than one, so it's like two, three, the disease is going to grow and cause an epidemic. If it's less than one, the disease will die out, even if we get stuttering chains. So like, you know, avian influenzas that pop up occasionally, you might hear about in the news, those have ours less than one. They die out. The current coronavirus, which uh, in Wuhan looked like it had an R from two to three, it's growing, it's spreading globally. And um, what else besides the R? So the next thing we want to know is how quickly subsequent generations of infection happen. They happen really close together, like the flu, like if I infect somebody, they get sick and can infect somebody else in a couple of days, right? Then the disease is going to move really fast because you're going to get like, you know, you can just do do the math, two, four, eight, 16, right? Right. In just a few days, you can have a huge number of cases. for something like HIV or tuberculosis, like there's you know months or years in between subsequent generations of cases. So even though each individual will ultimately infect a lot of people and you'll have a big epidemic, that epidemic's gonna move a lot slower. And when it's a slower epidemic, what are the implications for uh, the response? I mean, in terms of an emerging infectious disease, it just buys you time uh, in a way. 
mm-hmm. because it, uh, you know, it like it's going to get to you slower. You have more time to prepare. You have more time to think about what's going to happen. Conversely, uh, slower epidemics, you know, pop up on your radar slower, right? Mm-hmm. It takes longer to do. Like, how long did it take HIV? Her AIDS mm-hmm. to for people to realize that that was a problem. I mean, given the world was much different then, but it took a really long time. And part of the reason it took a long time was because you know it was taking people so long to get sick. Whereas something like the novel coronavirus, right? We had a big epidemic pretty quick, and you know it's clear we had a problem. Right so, off. Com- so compare the new virus with influenza in terms of its transmission time. So uh, the new virus has, uh, the novel coronavirus has about an eight-day or week-long serial interval, uh, or it's a generation time, and uh, influenza is uh, a little less than half that, like usually around 2.5 days, two days. So we have a little bit more time as this is moving. Yeah. It's moving a little slower than flu would move, but it's still moving pretty fast compared to something like... Yeah, our best estimates is it's a little more transmissible than flu in the sense that the R is a little bit higher, but Uh it moves about half to a third the speed in terms of the generations of infection. Any other characteristics of the virus you're focused on? The asymptomatic rate. That's the... uh, 100 pound, 900 the, the pound. The asymptomatic gorilla. rate. So, yes, t- the so tell me about pound that. Yeah. gorilla. How many people have the disease and aren't getting sick and aren't showing symptoms? And, uh, and then do those people transmit? Mm-hmm. That's one of the biggest questions, open questions about this virus. And I think it's, it's critical to how we think about what we can do for control. So, so let's take a couple of scenarios. Let's say it turns out that there is um, a big asymptomatic rate and people can transmit. What what does that mean? Let's, let's start with the other one. Okay, Just because okay, it's fine. easier, right? Okay, right. So if everybody's sick, right, right, I can go out and find sick people. Right. Um, or I can just tell sick people, I say, hey, you got to cough, stay home, right. right? And I can cut down the disease transmission there. Like if, you know, you think about that R number I said, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say R is two and I make you, I, and you get into your house within a quarter of your infectious period. Right. Your R is now 0.5. I see. And you're not going to cause, a, you're not going to replace yourself in the population as a case. And then the infections will go down. Pass up. Right. Yeah, it will die out, right? And so if I, so, so if I can get, make that happen by focusing on people with symptoms, that's great. Whether it's them focusing on themselves by self-isolating or stuff like that, us doing screening at like travel on the train or things like that, or even if if we do develop a treatment, like you know going and being really quick to go treat people who start looking sick, right, or at the doctor. So that's great. Now imagine on the flip side, imagine eighty percent of the people who have the disease don't show symptoms, mm-hmm. right? Then all of those things don't work. I see. Because I cannot use symptom based interventions that target people with the disease and the symptoms to reduce the transmission. The, the one little um, nuance there is sometimes you have large symptomatic, asymptomatic rates, like a lot of people don't develop symptoms, but they don't transmit as much. Right, because you know, if you're sick with the disease, you you're, cough and right. stuff like that. You're spewing viral particles. You're in spewing all viral particles, but it's not clear, and that's one of the things that's not clear about it, right? So, so what? So, sounds like this asymptomatic rate issue is very important for coronavirus. What mm-hmm. do we know right now? We know some people are asymptomatic, 
we are pretty sure people there is at least some asymptomatic transmission. We don't know much more. I've been reading that some people seem to think it's a relatively modest or minor uh, cause of transmission, but... Yeah, but we don't know. Yeah. Right, and and that's a big question. And it's so, all, so what kinds of studies would help answer that question? Um, I think, well, there, there's two kinds of studies. One is kind of technical. It's something I did on the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome Uh Whereas if we can, if we can capture people for act, through active, proactive surveillance, that means like going and testing people because of like who they've contacted or where they've been, rather than testing them because they have symptoms, we can use that information to figure out what the profile of the average case looks like uh-huh. or average infected person looks like and whether or not they develop symptoms. So that can help us figure it out. Okay. Um, you know, and then, so that's one way. The other way is uh, serological surveys or serological tests. So, you know, whenever you get infected with an infectious disease, uh, your body responds to that disease, right? You sort of change forever because your adaptive immune system right. adapts to respond to it. And we can go draw some blood and see... Uh, who's the, been exposed, who might have been Right, infected. who's been exposed, right. Even if they didn't have symptoms. Even if they didn't have symptoms. And so um, this is a pretty important question mm-hmm. because on the one hand, if there isn't that big of an issue of asymptomatic uh, individuals passing the virus on, it's much mm-hmm. easier to control. Right. On the other hand, if there is a problem, it becomes much more complicated. When do you think we'll really start to have more definitive answers to that? Um, I think probably one way or another in a month or two hopefully sooner and we're trying we're working like that's one thing our group's doing is trying to figure that out um yeah and and i also want to make one more sort of note on the asymptomatic proportion and also it's critical for calculating how bad the disease is right um so what you know what you usually see reported is something called the case fatality rate that's how many people who get who who actually get sick mm-hmm. end up progressing to death. Right. And that's important. But what you really want to know, if you really want to know how bad it is, is the infection fatality rate. Right. That means if you get infected, regardless of whether or not you can get sick, uh, will you die? And if that so if there are a lot of asymptomatic cases out there and those aren't people aren't dying, then the infection fatality rate is quite low. And then even if this spreads widely, it's probably going to be a relatively modest um, in terms of fatality. We can talk about all the reasons right. why that's not the only thing to worry about in a right. second. Right. But, Plus, uh, if you're the right. one who's dying, the rate is... Uh, right. Is one for you. Immaterial, right. <laughs> right, immaterial. But, 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 um, but your, your point being that if we find a lot of asymptomatic individuals, that may illustrate that most people aren't getting very sick from it. Uh, on the other hand, what's really critical is whether they can keep passing it on when they're right. Asymptomatic. Yeah, in terms and, of the overall spread, right? right. And so, so, so the 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 good news but, scenarios would be either there aren't that many asymptomatic people, or more likely there are asymptomatic people, but they can't really pass right. it on. That would be a good news scenario. The not so good news scenario would be. There are a lot of asymptomatic people who can pass it on right. the, quite, well, quite yeah, effectively. The, well, right. And then, but once again, it's a balance, right? Like, 
the more efficiently the disease is spreading, the lower the case fatality rate probably right. is, right? Or the infection fatality rate probably is. The less efficiently it's spreading, the uh, you know the higher the CFR probably is. Yeah. And that's you know, and I can sort of tell that's the case fatality rate. Case yeah. fatality rate, yeah. So, uh, or the higher the infection fatality rate, yeah. right? Yeah. So I can sort of tell you just based on the R not that like somewhere between 40 and 70% of the world's population likely will have this disease at some point. Wow. Right? Just based on the R not. Like we might have to get a vaccine, we might maybe right. die out in the summer, maybe we'll have a drug, right? Not definitive, but right. if it like sort of cruises on based on how much tra- how transmissible we, it is, that's just where the math shoots hits you. Hits right. You, right. So that infection fatality rate will determine how many people die. Right. Yeah. So if it's really low, I mean, it's still a giant problem when you do the when you when you start multiplying where you're starting with nearly eight billion people. Right. It, it, you get big numbers even at fairly low infection fatality right. rates, but. If the infection fatality rate is high, then then that like translates into a lot more death. Well, um, thank you so much for helping to explain sort of some of these basic issues mm-hmm. with um, infectious diseases, and we we uh, wish you the best with your work to thank really you. characterize this particular infectious disease and be able to give the best advice based on the dynamics and um, modeling you can do once you know these um, dimensions to help with the response. Thank you. It was great talking to you. Thank you for listening to Public Health on Call, a new podcast from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Please send questions to be covered in future episodes to publichealthquestion at jhu.edu. That's publichealthquestion at jhu.edu. This podcast is produced by Owen McCusker, Chip Hickey, Josh Sharpstein, and Lamari Morales. Thank you for listening.